Hello, and welcome to the second episode of Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast that teaches you everything about anything, and where we make doing your homework actually fun. My name is Pete Romberg, I'm a lead editor at a digital curriculum development company, and I'm a consumer of pop culture. Helping me out each week to discuss our homework, build the curriculum, and share next week's episodes are... Martha Sullivan, teen librarian by day and super nerd by night. Kaylee Scouten. Uh, data, data analyst and lover of all things weird and interesting. Great. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. My feet are cold, but other than that, I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. My feet are not cold. I have got slippers on. Jelly. I also <laughs> have slippers. So for two to one slippers, uh, before we get started, it's only fair that we share with you our pop culture credentials. This is the part of the show where we share with you the last piece of media we consumed regardless of its quality, prestige, or the guilty pleasure factor. Uh, Kaylee, what was the last piece of media that you consumed? Um, probably I would say Steven Universe, which I just started season one of, and we've been chucking through, or chucking through that rather than chucking. Um, <laughs> And I, I have at most the, the most cursory knowledge of Steven Universe. So what exactly is it other than it's a cartoon, right? Yes, it's a cartoon um, with Steven, who is a young child. Well, I don't know if he's a young child. He's a, I guess he's a kid. Um, and he goes on adventures with three lovely ladies. And it's kind of like magic, coming of, you know, age, all sorts of fun stuff. Great. And uh, where can you watch it? You can currently watch it on Hulu, or if you buy the DVDs from the store, but I would recommend Hulu. Perfect. Martha, how about you? What was the last piece of pop culture you consumed? Well, I had this whole little intro ready to go for a book that I just started reading, uh, which will come out later this year because I wanted to show off how cool I am by getting to read books before they're published. But actually, it was The Great British Bake Off. I love the Great um, British Bake which Off. Which I, yes, have, it has been my zen place recently. Um, it's it's been very calming to watch. Uh, if you sign up to be a donator on PBS, you get to watch it for free. Well, not for free. You get to watch it for the price of your donation. Um, but considering the danger some of our fine arts and education programs are in at the moment, I consider it a worthwhile investment. Um, and yeah, I just, I find it such a peaceful show to watch because no one gets mad at each other. There's no cattiness. There's no bitchiness that is sort of inherent in our reality TV right now. It's just people being really good at baking and like being supportive of each other and making things that look really delicious. I heard that the uh, the two hosts actively go and mess up shots where people are, like, weeping or having uh, temper moments, as it were. Um, like, they'll just stand in front of the camera flicking it off or doing things that make those shots unusable so that they can't use those moments of cattiness or those moments of, that would be fodder for other uh, lesser uh, reality TV shows. Um, they do. Um, they also... When when somebody, like, is feeling really bad about something that they're making or, like, make a mistake or get really distressed about something, they make a point in, like, being supportive and being comforting and being like, all right, I'm not, I can't, like, help you make this, but 
what do you need? Like, can I get you a bowl? Can I like, do you need the right kind of spoon? Like what can, so just the fact that they're there to be supportive rather than divisive is really, really nice to watch. Yes. Yep. And it got me into baking. So win-win. Yay. Everybody <laughs> should bake. <laughs> did you buy Mary Berry's uh, cookbook, Pete? I did not know that was a thing I could do. So. Oh my God. There's like three. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I'll have to keep an eye out for that. Last piece of pop culture that I consumed uh, was Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, yes. This... yes. All right, great. I don't need to tell you about it. <laughs> um, this is a show that, that uh, my girlfriend Marin has been massively into. She's actually re-watching it for at least the second time right now, but possibly more than the second time. And so I'd been, like, exposed to it. I had seen individual scenes of it before, thought it was funny, but never really, like, sat down and watched it. Um, this weekend I was sick, and so Sunday I watched maybe three hours of it just in a row on the couch, and it was delightful. Um, Good so choice. I, I just watched, a, like, an episode, um, you know, sort of before we started getting ready for this, so... Brooklyn Nine-Nine is uh, available. For me, it's available on whatever uh, my girlfriend is using to watch it. But I believe that's Hulu. Hulu. So I'm going to go with it's Hulu. It's on Hulu. Cool. <laughs> I think I think past seasons may be on Netflix. Maybe. I don't know. It's definitely on Hulu. All right. So Hulu is two for two for us. It's such good media this week. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. three good options. Nice Zen TV shows. Yes. All right, so let's transition then into our topic at hand. Um, we are Which is decidedly not peaceful. Yes, it might be a good time <laughs> to go and watch British Bake Off or Brooklyn Nine-Nine or Steven Universe after uh, this episode. Um, <laughs> we are recording this on Wednesday, January 25th, uh, 2017, which puts us at this point um, less than a week after the inauguration of the 45th president, uh, Donald Trump. Completely unrelatedly, the topic for this week is resistance and insurgency, or as I like to say, welcome to the resistance. Um, so I, I was the one who chose the topic for this week. Uh, I, I chose it very specifically with the sort of the political culture that we have going on. I think it would be no surprise to our listeners based on uh, what we're talking about um, and the way that we're talking about pop culture. Uh, we have concerns about the Trump administration, um, and we are looking at ways that resistance has sort of popped up throughout pop culture. Um, also recently uh, out was Rogue One, Star Wars movie. That's all about the resistance. Um, so we're just talking here about what these resistance movements might look like, how they're interacting in pop culture. Um, and as we get on at some of the homework assignments that we assigned in talking about it, I thought there were some very interesting connections that we all intentionally or unintentionally uh, were, were cropping up between the medias that we chose. Um, so since I chose this topic, I'll go first. Um, I chose an album. Uh, the first time we've done an album. Uh, it is Heaven, H-E-A-V-N, by Chicago artist Jamila Woods, um, available on SoundCloud. I didn't know she was a Chicago artist. That's oh, yep. cool. Yeah, she's in Chicago. Um, I was first exposed to her on the um, Chance the Rapper uh, Donnie Trumpet song Sunday Candy, which is a, a glorious song about his grandmother. 
uh, and she sings the the female verse on that, the the grandmother's verse, as it were. Um, woman has a, an, an amazing voice. The album is very black, and it's very black woman oriented. Uh, so the way it's described on the SoundCloud is heaven is about black girlhood, about Chicago, about the people we miss who have gone on to prepare a place for us somewhere else, about the city or world we aspire to live in. Uh, and I think that that is shining through on a lot of the tracks. Um, Martha, I know that you're going to be uh, talking specifically about a track called Very Black, featuring uh, amazingly talented artist No Name. The other two tracks I would definitely highlight would be um, the track LSD, short for Lakeshore Drive, for those not from Chicago. Um, I'm highlighting that one because it was my introduction to this album and to Jamila Woods, mostly because it's featuring uh, Chicago breakout artist Chance the Rapper. Um, and it's just a really beautiful ode to the city of Chicago. Uh, and Chance's verse is a really great ode um, to fatherhood and to his daughter. So that that's definitely a, a track to check out. Specifically in terms of resistance, though, Black Girl Soldier. Um, this is a righteously angry track. It's uh, shouting out um, Harriet Tubman. It's shouting out, you know, a, a slew of... Uh, female black resistance leaders going back to Tubman, but also including people like uh, Rosa Parks, um, uh, Asanta Shakur. Uh, so we're, we're going up and down the uh, uh, respectable to more left-wing establishment wing there. It's also It also has lines like, Want us in the kitchen, ki uh, in the kitchen, kill our sons with lynching, we get loud about it. Well, now we're the, and this is a clean podcast, so I'll say witches. It's, like I said, it's very black, it's very female, and I think it's a combination as an album that both celebrates a lot, that should be celebrated, and also is uh, angrily pointing out the things that need to be angrily addressed. Uh, we'll go to you, Martha. What were your thoughts on this album? Um, I think it's a lovely album. I didn't really have any expectations because I'd never heard of uh, Woods or the album uh, before I started to listen to it. Um and the clip that I wanted to pull from Very Black, I, I picked it specifically because it feels very indicative of the album as a whole to me. Uh, we can insert that clip here so that our audience can uh, can listen to what I'm talking about. Ask me no more questions. Tell me no more lies. You're serving and protecting this stealing baby's life. I'm very black. But her use of chilled, her her use of the rhythm and uh, patter from a, a children's rope skipping line, while she's indicting, I mean this is this is an indictment of the police force, uh, using very childish rhythms and sounds, um, and sort of a very light frothy uh, music tone, um, which I think makes a really effective and pretty cutting uh, impact. Um, I listened to it twice, uh, the whole album, not just the, not just the very black track, um, because the first time I almost wasn't, I almost couldn't pay enough attention to the lyrics because of how bubbly and beautiful the music was. Um, and when I listened to it a second time, I followed along, I had the lyrics written down in front of me so I could really kind of appreciate um, how deeply, deeply cutting and deeply hurt 
her lyrics are and also how deeply rooted they are in black identity. It, it reminded me actually, and we're going to talk about this uh, later, um, but it reminded me a lot of after Beyonce's Lemonade came out when a lot of the criticism about that album was um, people who weren't black, who weren't Southern, who weren't female felt very uh, left out of that album. And I, I didn't feel left out from heaven, but I can tell listening to it that it's not for me. Like it's not, it's not an album that was written with me in mind, which doesn't mean that I can't appreciate it. It's, it's a gorgeous album, but it does mean that it's not like I can, I can not identify with it and that's okay because it isn't, it wasn't written for me. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and yeah, yeah also, go for it. I was just going to say, I also like Lemonade. It's such a celebration of the like black female identity that it was just, it was just lovely to listen to. Yeah, I, I think you're, and, and it's doubly so not an album for me as a white man, um, but I, as both a, a celebration of and also like expression of anger of uh, black womanhood, I think it's it's phenomenal. And and for the three of us, at least, the Chicago angle is a nice in. Um, yeah. cool. Kaylee, how well, about you? You can listen oh. to it. I was just going to say, you can listen to it and understand that even though it doesn't reflect your perspective, it's still a message that you should be listening to and taking in and trying to understand. Yeah, absolutely. I think what what really touched on me and kind of like gets to the the center of resistance is you can tell that she's really mad and upset at the people that are put there to protect her. And I think that that says a lot because if you can't like trust and like have faith in the people that are there to keep you safe, then what's the point of having them there? And it kind of like yep. builds this, like resistance and this like this inherent anger of being like, you know, what the heck? You're you're you know killing my my brothers and my sisters. You're supposed to be like saving us, or not saving us, but like keeping us safe. And you're just doing exactly yeah. the opposite of that. Yeah, one of the lyrics in the segment that I'm gonna have that pete pulled out for us is your serving and protecting is stealing babies lives yeah. uh which yeah, <laughs> yeah i mean well, you don't get much you don't get much starker than that well especially in the context of the chicago police department which was recently indicted by uh the the justice department for its you know going on what 40 50 years of systemic uh racist policies and systemic abuse of communities of color um unfortunately very timely um and you can definitely see exactly where she's coming from kaylee anything else you wanted to add or should we uh segue over to uh a different homework assignment i think that's all i've got unfortunately i was not able to listen to it more than once because i really really did love the album cool well in that case let's kick it over to your homework assignment okay so my homework assignment was a graphic novel that came out in 2014 called in real life it is written by Corey Doctoro and illustrated by Jen Wang. Um, it is about online friendships in a massively multiplayer uh, role-playing game where things are not as they seem, and one of the girl befriends a gold farmer, which if you've ever played massively multiplayer online games, like gold farmers are like you don't you don't really talk to them, you don't really like interact with them. They're just there and they're always spamming the chats and you're just like, oh my gosh. Be quiet. <laughs> but she befriends him and realizes that, you know, things aren't always what they seem, and it sort of brings up this 
rebellion where she sort of helps him say, no, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to, you know, go out and do other things with my life. Well, and Kaylee, I'm just going to sit here. Kaylee, tell, uh, like, explain what a gold farmer does. Okay, so what a gold farmer does is they basically just farm for gold in the game and then sell that on various websites to users to sort of, like, increase your money. So, like, instead of um, you yourself doing quests and battles and whatnot to get the gold in the game, you go to a website and spend real money to just, you know, buy game, buy in-game currency that you can use in the game. A lot of different MMOs have bans in place, and it's sort of a, you know, black market thing, if you will. I, I love that some MMOs have the have the black market gold farming as like that this is a thing that they want to avoid whereas other games that is literally their business model is yeah uh, spend real life money to get upgrades and stuff yeah well but that's the that's the game company come controlling their economy oh de definitely definitely I mean, problem, understand i just like that we've gone two different directions that, yeah the problem with gold farming is that they have no control over that secondary economy right uh, what made you pick this one for our topic this week? The reason I picked this is um, one of my favorite Resistance-type stories are the one where you've got your like sort of social aspect and you, you as a person, realize that this is not right, this is not the way that things should be. And so you stand up to that sort of... Um, those sort of issues and intolerances and you say no this isn't right and that's what I like about Ando where she you know she's very passionate about this but she also is very you know passionate about this friend friendship that she has and she realizes that she needs to sort of stand up for what she believes in in order to help him out. So resistance almost as a, a personal rather than a political um not not that the yes. two aren't intertwined but yes one of the things that I particularly loved about this story is that it shows the dangers of trying to do something that you think is for the best without understanding either what you're doing or who you're helping. Because Anda's first attempts at helping, what is her friend's name? His American name is Raymond. Raymond. Yeah, so Anda's first attempts at helping Raymond fail because she doesn't understand what she's kind of getting herself into. She makes value judgments that are not kind of applicable to his situation. Um, so he's a, he's a gold farmer working in China, and she tries to kind of impress her... Um, American view of how things should be and how things should go and it ends up having very real consequences um, and she's not really able to help him until she understands that she has to help him but she has to help him in a way that is that fits with his circumstances not with her idea yeah it feels very applicable especially now when, when the big conversation right now I feel is about um, intersectionality in the way that we uh protest and organize and help each other like making sure that everyone is listening to um people and what their you know what their what their issues actually are rather than what we think that they are or how we should be helping them um so i thought that that was a very applicable 
uh, story point. Yeah, I was a huge fan of... I, I've got, like, sort of two directions to go on this. I guess I'll go with the one closest to that. Um, there's a... Uh, tying it back to the, the uh, Jamila Woods album, there's a line from from Chance the Rapper's bit saying, this here ain't no Vice Doc, this here ain't no Spike Op. And his line about the Spike Op was a reference to Spike Jones. Uh, the director came to Chicago and filmed... Um, uh, what's the the ancient Greek tragedy, Lysistrata? Uh, is it the... Chirac? Yeah, Chirac. Is that yeah, the movie that, you're talking about? That, yeah. That's the movie. Um, Chance and a number of other uh, Chicago hip-hop uh, people who are sort of up-and-coming were approached by Spike Jones to participate in it, but they didn't like what he was doing with it. They didn't like that this outsider, like Spike Jones is definitely a respected uh, filmmaker, um, but he's not from Chicago, and he the, in, in their view it was this outsider coming in trying to incorrectly tell this story of their city and um not do it the justice that it deserved and, and sort of be very flippant about it so um he was sort of calling that out in that line that's sort of very similar to this um what you're talking about martha how you have to be um not just empathetic or concerned about people that you might be helping but also like hey maybe the people actually involved in those spaces in in those situations are the ones who should be making the decisions about what's going on that will directly impact them or how they want to go about leading the resistance well so i have a question specifically about the spike jones example um if he was consulting with with chicago artists i mean doesn't should he get credit for that i mean because he didn't have to do that he could have just made whatever movie he wanted it was less a consulting with them to, like, get their take on it, and more a, like, do you want to be in it? Can I use your music in it? That sort of oh, thing. Oh, okay. Um, so Never it, mind. Yeah, it, it was more of a artistic than rather than a political exchange. I gotcha. One of the other interesting issues that I think in real life brings up, um, and I put this in the show notes because I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, so we are all millennials, and... We all have gotten a lot of flack, I feel, for not we as in like the three, specifically the three of us, but we as in our generation, I feel get a lot of flack for our use of social media in terms of resistance and organization. Um, I feel like the word slacktivism has been used uh, because people can perceive um like using Twitter, using Facebook, sharing information, um, all of that as being not helpful, I guess. Like using that as an using that and giving us an illusion of uh, activism rather than actually like accomplishing anything. And I was wondering what you guys thought about that. I mean, Cory Doctorow brings it up in a couple other of his books, specifically, I think Little Brother. Other, I mean uh, that one spins out into a lot of other stuff um, about like cybersecurity and the surveillance state and all of that. But it does start with a game, and it starts with uh, communication via social media and text to organize action. I know that I feel really good when I spend fifteen seconds and sign an online petition, and I'm also painfully aware that that is the least effective way of actually um you know getting in touch with whomever it is who's making that decision um 
I, I think that social media... The, the thing that happened most recently that I thought was effective social media was, um, I don't recall if this was November or December, it might have even been October, but when everyone was checking in on Facebook uh, at the Standing Rock Reservation, um, were the police actually using uh, people's Facebook check-ins to determine who was there, and was that action of people from all over the, the country and the world checking in there actually disrupting on-the-ground uh, police efforts? Probably not. However, I think... It... I was going to say, would you like me to answer that question? Because yeah, I read well, an article about that. I, I'm sure the answer is no. <laughs> um, but what it did was it dramatically increased the profile of what was happening. Uh, people who I did not think had any idea of what was going on um, would were showing up on my Facebook having checked in there. So it was a really a f interesting and I think unique um, form of protest that if nothing else, dramatically increased the awareness of something that at the time wasn't hitting uh, mainstream awareness in a way that it needed to. Um, and after that, I think it was. If only because the story on, you know, CNN and ABC that night was, why are all your Facebook friends checking in at Standing Rock? You know, the, the water protesters, the, the water protectors were not getting that nightly coverage until that happened. So I think that there is a space for social media to play as an actual effective organizing tool and as an actual effective means of disruption. Uh, but I think that slacktivism is an absolutely accurate term to describe um, signing petitions, writing Twitter rants, uh, retweeting things five times a day. Am I absolutely describing myself? Yes, I am. Um, yeah, I think it's important to remember that just like in the end of real of uh, in real life when the the workers in the Chinese gold factory company do actually have to stand up and say we deserve better even if they are inspired by the actions on social media like the the action is the thing um the other two examples of that that i want to point out just because they make me happy inside are the fact that the women's march was basically wholly organized on facebook um as far as i can tell um i'm totally willing to be corrected by that um, but also this wonderful Twitter feed that popped up after our president shut down the National Park Service Twitter yes. account yesterday, the Alt-US Nat Park Service, which has been tweeting uh, forbiddenly for a couple of days now. They're wonderful. I have no idea if they're real. I don't know who is running it. Um, I hope they are exactly who they say they are, but as far as I can tell, they exist to slam on our president and give out science news. So, A+. plus. There's also a uh, NASA one now, too. Oh, Ooh. wonderful. <laughs> Once this is done, I'll have to go follow them. The, the alt-nat park guys have been the real heroes these last 24 hours. All right, well, uh, let's uh, segue now to Martha. What was your bit of homework for this week? My bit of homework was a young adult book called The Summer Prince uh, by Alaya Dawn Johnson. Uh, this book was originally published in 2013 and tells the story of June, who is a 17-year-old artist growing up in a city that is basically futuristic Brazil. Uh, she is, she f sort of fancies herself a uh, um, kind of guerrilla artist. Her her pieces tend to be big public disruptions or like graffiti 
um, or art installations on pieces of the city. Uh, but she finds that it starts to get much more political and much more personal as her art starts to actually um, affect and change the political climate of the city. Uh, there is a conflict uh, going on between the younger generation and the older over how much technology people should be allowed to use, uh, which June gets drawn into more and more, uh, complicated by the fact of her friendship with the uh, the Summer King, who is a political figure. Uh, he is a uh, older teen boy who's elected by the city in the spring and sacrificed at the end of the year um, after choosing the queen who will... Uh, step into power uh, for the next year. It's a very interesting mix of kind of uh, futurism, uh, like neo-futurism and barbarism. I mean, the, the human sacrifice element is, um, feels like it should be out of place, but in the, in the context of the book, it, it feels fairly, uh, fairly accurate. Um, but mostly I picked this because of June's art and how she starts at playing at being, um, being a political artist and then by the end of the book is is doing things with the intent to be disruptive and the intent to enact change. What did you guys think? It's kind of an odd little book, but I have a great deal of fondness for it. I really enjoyed it. Um, as someone who greatly, greatly, greatly enjoys the arts and would sort of consider herself an artist, I think that it was really, really interesting to see it, not just as like a you know, military resistance, but more of like an art-driven resistance. So that aspect I really, really enjoyed. One one bit that I did, like, have as an interesting takeaway about um, June herself is that you can tell that she is a teenager. Like, it's not like, it, she feels like a real teenager. She's got flaws. She's very, very pompous. Like, as you mentioned, she she's an artist and she claims to be the best artist in you know, this city or this world that she lives in. And it's just like, that's a big claim. But it's just like when you're that age, that's how you feel. Um, she also has a great deal of privilege. Uh, she yes. comes from a wealthy yes. family, which allows her access that I think a lot of, um, like a, somebody in her, like if, if she was a lower class, she would not have the kind of access that she needs to do some of her installations. And how that kind of classism comes into play is also pretty interesting. Get away with nearly as much as she did if she wasn't as privileged and she didn't come from, you know, the top tier that she did. Which is interesting that then, that then sort of humbles her and says, okay, well, I have this privilege, but what can I do with this privilege to make, you know, it better, essentially? Mm hmm. Um, overall, YA lit books like this tend not to be my thing. Um, there's a online cartoon that I'm sure you both have seen at this point of, uh, every dystopian YA novel. My name is Wicker Basket and I'm the chosen one. Two hot dudes are in love with me. Also, I'm a vampire. Um, sort of taking the, the stuffing out of generic YA lit. And this, in some ways... I deserve a round of applause for choosing this particular YA dystopia and not one of the generic ones, I feel. And so that was a perfect setup for what I was going to say. <laughs> um, which is... <laughs> Uh, this fell into some of those tropes in a big way, um, but in a lot of other ways, this really subverted those tropes. Um, 
there's absolutely a love triangle, but it steers very, very heavily into the LGBT angle of that love triangle. It's mostly yeah. uh, her best friend and the king are the main spokes of this love triangle, and she's the third wheel of it. Um, so the two dudes that she is, you know, who do I choose? Well, they don't really care because they're in love with each other more than they are. I, I shouldn't yes. say more than they are with her, but... Um, it is it is much more akin to a polyamorous relationship, I feel, because Anki's whole Anki is the the Summer King character, and his whole deal is that he's in love with everyone, and Gil never actually cares when when Anki and June, uh, you know, develop their relationship. It's all very it's all very polyamorous rather than love triangle. In a lot of ways, it reminded me of the Sense Eight relationship between. Um, the, the the gay Spanish actor, uh, Mexican actor, and his sort of um, relationship. Um, obviously slightly mm -hmm. different, but it, it felt very similar there. Um, I really liked the world that was developed. Um, I really liked the whole, you know, kill the king every month or every time that happens. Every year. Yeah, every year. Um, I loved the world. I loved the development. Um and I was glad that it inverted or subverted a lot of generic YA novel tropes. Um, even someone who doesn't like a lot of YA novels, I, uh, I enjoyed it. Um, you know, read it. Uh, it was a great weekend to be sick this weekend where I was lying on the couch with not a whole lot else to do but read some books. Um, the other thing that I liked about this and that I'm sort of going to bring into a, a, a bigger discussion is that all three of us in some way chose a work that had something to do with art as a form of resistance. Um, lumping MMO video games into art in this category, I think that's a fair thing yeah. to do. Um, but, you know, wh whether it's music as resistance, whether it's uh, video games as possibly a means of resistance, or maybe simply a channel to organize that resistance. Um, and then this, uh, June is, is using her art for very political purposes, even her own personal body modifications. Um, she embeds light uh, under her skin, which is super cool. I love that visual. Yes. And it becomes a political statement as other people, other kids, start doing it. And, and when, um, you know, she eventually gets busted by the government, they take out the lights um, from her because it's sort of too individualistic and also too political at that point. Um, so we, we all were sort of angling at resistance through art in some way. Well, I think that's because art in itself is inherently political. Um, even even the stuff that is not supposed to be, you, like you you can't create art without having a point of view. You can't create art without um, some sort of bias. And if you do, then it's empty. So I think that um, by its nature, art can be very subversive. Can be very um, disruptive that's why one of the other one of the other things that i just wanted to mention in connection to this is the book called drawing blood by molly crabapple which is her uh memoir about her time spent as an activist and also just as her kind of a, a record of the art that she created um she did a couple of huge pieces uh, in a series called the shell game each of which is sort of a political it's like part political cartoon part social commentary all of which are indictments of certain aspects of our government um it's why it bothers me when people tell celebrities to like stop being political or to shut up about 
um, politics or anything and just do their jobs. It's like, like you're, their, you're their job the is art. What do you know? Exactly. It's like their job is art and art is political. And also they're citizens of this country, so they get to say what they want to. But that's sort of separate to what I'm uh, the issue that I'm trying to get at, which is just that um, art as a vehicle for resistance makes sense to me because art is a political entity. And art is also something, what what I appreciated a lot about The Summer Prince was it was clearly, like, I would give this book to any uh, junior or senior in high school who is in the arts, who's sort of, who's a theater kid, who's a weird kid, who's an artsy kid, because it was so art positive, and it had a lot of, it, it was very um, holistic in its view of what art was, and it was very open at saying, like, her father was a musician, he never really got the fact, and he was disappointed in the fact that June wasn't a musician and she wasn't into music uh, the same way he was. But at the end, he still appreciated that she was into her own art in her own way. And I think what you were saying earlier, Martha, was, um, you know, art without purpose is sort of empty. And that's definitely a running sort of message of this book is like, she does the art not because it's a task, but because it's something that she deeply feels and wants to share. Um, and, and same with her, uh, frenemy, uh, Bebel, um, the same sort of thing. Like she's someone who's doing the art from a very deep place. And I think that sort of ties in with, with artists or people who feel things very deeply and what they're doing is coming from a deep place, which lends it well to a vehicle for resistance. Yeah. I like this point that you, uh, that you put into the show notes, um, about, how in real life and summer prints both involve people reaching out and linking up with people that they might not otherwise. Um, particularly in the summer prints where June, the strongest pieces that she ends up doing are collaborations. Um, so it's not just her art, but it's her art intertwined with somebody else's to create something that's bigger than both of them and has more of an impact than she could get on her own, which is also the central message of say a political march. <laughs> <laughs> alone we might not alone we might not be very effective but when you twine multiple voices together you come up with something uh, amazing and world changing and in in real life that is shown through a a girl who's trying to start a board game club who sort of gets brushed off by the D&D nerds uh, early on but then gets um uh, the main character um Anda uh reaches across the aisle to her at the end um and and in terms of organizing, that's so crucial to be able to say, like, um, you know, we're we're organizing around this topic, you're organizing around that topic. These topics are, you know, each uniquely deeply felt by us, but we also see how they intersect and we see how they support each other. So we'll support your movement, your protest, your organizing, uh, get our members out to your events and... Uh, you'll do the same for us, and that way we build a strong movement that's not just isolated um, this topic and that topic, but instead it's a, a, a movement. All right, well at this point, um, let's, uh, we, we've sort of talked about all three of these and how they all interlink, and I'm sure there's a lot of other pieces of pop culture that we can bring in either to connect to these specific homework assignments or to the topic in general. So this is the point in the show where we'll open it up and bring in a lot of outside assignments that we're going to add to our syllabus. Some of them I think we've already <laughs> talked about, uh, but we'll just keep adding more to the docket. Yeah, I've been kind of peppering in mine. Um, I already mentioned Beyonce's Lemonade. 
Uh, in addition to Beyonce's Lemonade, I wanted to mention uh, Sol- Solange Knowles, uh, her sister, her album, A Seat at the Table. Yeah, the Knowles um, sisters had a is... really good 2016. They really did. And A Seat at the Table is, it's almost an auditory sibling to heaven. It has a lot of the same um, sort of bubbly, frothy, fairy type sounds. And it also makes really excellent use of spoken word poetry at the end of the tracks. Um, So it's a very good companion piece. uh, And also is about being a black woman... um, one of the one of the tracks is called "Don't Touch My Hair," which is such an amazing, uh, such an amazing sentiment. Um, and I can't really relate to having like a person just touch my hair without invitation, but yeah. I have several. Ta- I have a lot of tattoos, and those people feel just entitled to touch. So that kind of violation of. Um, your physical space by somebody who may think they're being harmless, but is just sort of curious about something that's physically different from them. Um, I felt very resonant uh, with. I get the pigtail a lot where, you know, like you, you pull it and then it springs back. Yeah. Don't touch me. Not- <laughs> um, another thing we, we've mentioned this a few times already. Uh, Kaylee, I'm really glad you chose in real life because uh, I love Cory Doctorow. Um, even though I've apparently pronounced his last name incorrectly for over 10 years at this point. Um, I'm hopefully doing it correctly now. But he has a couple of really phenomenal books that... Uh, all of his, his books are often talk about the same ideas. Um, Little Brother and Pirate Cinema are both fantastic. Little Brother is YA. I think Pirate Cinema is just not Y, simply A. Um, but they're both... Um, <laughs> excellent sort of resistance or dystopia near future uh little brother's very much like a 1984 s sort of i mean like that's what he's referencing um kid in the bay area following a terrorist attack um dealing with a suddenly overbearing government um felt very similar to a combination of the summer prince and uh in real life but he's all about um I, I think a running theme in a lot of his works is channels of coordination and how we can use technology to um, to really minimize a lot of the co- the operational costs of simply being an organizer. Um, he talks about this at the beginning, the, the forward of In Real Life, and he used the exact same uh, numbers and the exact same story in a post he wrote recently, like just a couple weeks ago, um, where he, he talked about in the 80s, when he was organizing, 98% of his time was spent addressing envelopes and finding stamps, and 2% of his time was figuring out what to put inside those envelopes. Um, now, because of the internet and the organizational structures there, 100% of the time can be, or, or that, that dynamic is flopped. You know, 98% of the time is figuring out the content, um, and only 2% is on the distribution. Um, unfortunately, this works for everyone who's using these methods, so this is equally effective for... Um, you know, the, uh, the opposition, as it were, um, as it is for any resistance movement. Um, quick side note, um, my library has pirate cinema in YA as well. Oh, it is YA. Um, cool. yeah, I, I, Little Brother and Pirate Cinema could really go either way. Um, I actually like them in YA because, um, I think a lot of, a lot of the, the material we've been talking about tonight, 
um, sort of has a, a subcurrent of younger generations rebelling against older ones, however that might look. Um, Pirate Cinema is about a kid who gets in trouble for uh, pirating movies and cutting them to music and basically putting them on YouTube. Uh, so he gets slapped with a whole bunch of copyright infringement notices and ends up running away and joining like a commune of people who do the same thing. Um, an, an artsy lefty squat. Yes. <laughs> uh, there's this question kind of running through all of these things about, you know, when is it necessary? Is, is resistance and activism necessary for the for a younger generation to have a place equal to the older. I feel like that's what we're seeing right now in our lives. I feel like that's frequently the topic of a lot of this media. Um, and I also want to give credit, you know, as much as we crap on YA dystopian literature, um, I do feel like it gives, it should get some credit for teaching an entire generation of teens that they have the power to enact change and they have the power to make things better. Yeah. So as much as, you know, as much as we've been inundated with terrible Hunger Games clones, um, I think it's important to recognize that this is also a huge swath of literature that teaches teens, especially teen girls, because a lot of the heroes in these books are girls. Yes. Uh, that that they have power in places where everyone around them is telling them that they have no power. Which is sort of interesting. Like I'm going to like sort of sidetrack here for a minute, but if you were to take like resistance and all the things that we've talked about and compare it to a movie, like let's say Captain America civil war, where you kind of got the old guy standing up for what you'd think that the young generation would be standing up for. So it's kind of like flip flopped. Mm, uh, like cap is the old guard and, and, uh, Iron Man, who should be like the cutting edge new voice, is instead yes. the the reactionary. Yes. Um, I also just real quick wanted to mention. So when I when I saw that you had assigned us an album, Pete, I was totally ready to go down a rabbit hole of '60s protest music, which ended up not being super. I mean, thematically, I guess it it is related to what we're talking about, but it didn't feel appropriate to talk about next to uh jamila woods um however i did want to make a note um that everyone should go listen to the Jimi hendrix version of the star spangled banner that he performed at woodstock not only because it is a you know f sort of fundamentally american song performed by a fundamentally black artist uh, but that he did it without giving two shakes about what anyone was going to think of the fact that he had basically stopped a rock show to play um a song that's not quite our national anthem but close so i just i just wanted to give that one a shout out if you have not listened to Jimi hendrix version of the star spangled banner you need to rectify that to be a citizen of the world much less a citizen of america it is phenomenal <laughs> Well, now it's on our syllabus, so they have no excuse.
<laughs> Get ready for the spinoff podcast, Martha and Pete Geek Out About 60s Protest Music. Coming next. Hooray! <laughs> I also kind of wanted to talk about Pussy Riot, but they were way too angry, so we didn't. <laughs> I, I've never actually heard any of their music. I, I know them entirely for their politics <laughs> and their protests, and musically I've just never been into them. Well, they've never recorded anything. <laughs> it's all it's all music videos on YouTube. Right. And, like, videos of live performances. I mean, I, I feel like they're just as much performance art as they are, quote-unquote, musicians. Um, yeah, and I just wanted to give one last shout-out to March, a three-volume graphic novel by John Lewis um, and illustrated by Andrew Aiden and Nate Powell um, about the inestimable... Uh, is it estimable or inestimable about the amazing john lewis i think he is inestimable Um, whichever the word should be he's incredible (laughs) national treasure john lewis it's a three-part graphic novel about uh john lewis's journey through the civil rights movement and the the uh the the role that he played during the the civil rights marches um and it just won a whole bunch of uh, American Library Association Youth Media Awards. Um, they're incredible and just a really uplifting. Well, it's it's rough, um, but ultimately uplifting and hopeful because this man has accomplished so much um, and done. Yeah, he's accomplished so much, and it's a really great format um, for kind of visually getting the impact of what he has done. And following the Twitter beef uh, over MLK Weekend that our president got into with Representative Lewis, it is now a, I believe, number one selling graphic novel series. Good. If not, if not number one, then at least top top selling. That was the other reason. But yeah, it won the um, it won the Prince Award this year, which is the Young Adult Library Services Association, uh, basically top literary award. It's awarded every year to the best uh, best piece of young adult uh, literature that was released that year. Um, it also won the nonfiction award. Um, and I don't remember if there was a graphic novel specific award that it won at ALA, but it definitely won those two. So check that one out. Awesome. All right. Yeah, that is definitely on my list to check out. And that's all the time we have on this week's episode. Kaylee, what is our topic for next episode? Our topic for next episode is bullying. All right, and Kaylee, what's your homework assignment? My homework assignment is the very lovely um, Danish television show that you can find on Netflix called Jordis. Spell that for us, Kaylee. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's H-J-O with a slash R-D-I-S. Okay, so if I just type a regular O, because I don't know how to get that slash O on my Xbox, will I still find it on Netflix? Let's find out. Um... <laughs> for our listener at home, and also for me. Yes, if you type in HJ, there's only one option. So, <laughs> you don't even have to try and figure out how to <laughs> So go to Netflix and type in HJ to watch the show that hopefully we will all pronounce correctly next episode. Uh, Martha, what is your homework assignment for next episode? Uh, my homework assignment for next week is another YA novel. So sorry, Pete, but I'm going to make you read again. Um, <laughs> it is called 13 Reasons Why, and the author is J J A Y Asher, 
A-S-H-E-R. And you can find that at your local library. Great. And my homework assignment is the classic film Dazed and Confused, starring a young Ben Affleck, a young and super creepy Matthew McConaughey, and I'm sure a number of other uh, actors who have gone and done things, but neither of them are Ben Affleck or Matthew McConaughey. Uh, That is available, unfortunately, neither on Netflix nor Hulu. Uh, It's available on YouTube, iTunes, uh, Amazon Prime, uh, anywhere where you could purchase movies uh, these days in the age of the internet. Or your local library. Yay! I was going to say that. And your local library, (laughs) and if you... Or your husband's DVD collection. Um, And if you happen to live near a Blockbuster and it's still in business, good on you. It might be there. Um, Or you might be living in 1999. Yes. In which case, it's still out, so you can check it out anyway. Perfect. Cool. And enjoy President Clinton. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, we will be reconvening in two weeks, which gives you plenty of time to do your homework. As always, the topic and homework assignments can be found at our website, homeworkpodcast.com. You can find our podcast on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. We're trying to get on iTunes, but don't have confirmation from them yet, but look for that soon. You guys are on. We're on <laughs> iTunes. I'm sorry. We are on iTunes. Oh, hooray! Great. We're on iTunes. All right, well, you can find us on iTunes as well. Um, please rate and review us on iTunes. Clearly, we know exactly what we're doing, and so you should leave reviews saying exactly that. Uh, our home Look, on the... we're, this is a learning. This is a learning experience, Pete. We put it in the title. Yep. Uh, we are doing our homework live on air for you. Uh, our home on the web is homeworkpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at DYDYHpodcast. We also have a Facebook group, same thing, I believe. Uh, Did You Do Your Homework podcast. If you have questions, comments, or ideas for future shows, or just sending a correction, uh, please email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com. Tweeting, Facebook messages, or blog comments work for us as well. Now, Martha, where can we find you online? I can be found online almost anywhere, but mostly on Twitter or Instagram at MagicalMartha. And Kaylee, where can we find you online? You can find me online um, on Instagram at Tricky Lemon. All right, and you can find me on Twitter at Pico3000. That's P I K O 3000. With that, we'll talk to you all in two weeks for our next episode. Until then, make sure you do your homework.